a dose of deception with the queens of queens, Shannon and Emily. In our podcast, we'll be discussing murders, missing persons cases, mysteries, and a whole lot of conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for the wild ride. Hey queens, welcome back to Dose of Deception. This is episode 14. We're really excited for this week. Um, This week, Emily is going to start us off. But before we get into it, we just want to plug our social media again. Our Instagram is at Dose of Deception. And our Facebook is also a Facebook group at Dose of Deception. If you have any ideas or want to engage with us, talk to us, anything, let us know there. So Emily, what do we got this week? (laughs) All right. So this week, we're going to be talking about Catherine Mary Knight, who is the first Australian woman to be sentenced to life in prison without parole mm. first australian woman how crazy is that Ooh, i know this really... one seems like it's gonna be a good one. Oh, it's gonna be it's a <laughs> wild ride that's a good premise no let me tell you this <laughs> is a horror movie this is stuff you see on tv ah <laughs> see you know how i feel about those <laughs> <laughs> this just doesn't seem like it could have ever happened mm, okay so, i'm excited yeah. so she's still alive today she's only 64 years old mm. so i mean it would be really cool to like talk to her mm. is she... it I think it is. I mean, is she guilty of whatever? Oh, wait till you hear this. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. So I'm going to start off with just her early life and background a little bit Mm. so you can understand why she became this, um, (laughs) this, I don't know what to call her. Criminal. Criminal today. Okay. (laughs) So Catherine Knight was raised by her mother, Barbara Ruffin, Mm -hmm. who was married to and had four sons with Jack but began cheating on him with Ken Knight, who worked and was friends with her husband. Mm. The backlash from her adulterous relationship caused Barbara to leave Aberdeen and move to Maury. I believe it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. It's in Australia. Uh, so she left behind her two sons with um, Jack, and then her other two sons were left with their aunt. Okay. So she just left, like, up and left from all... I mean, I guess if you live where everybody talks to each other and yeah. gossipy, then I guess you just up and leave. Yeah. Um, so that's what she did. Barbara then had four additional children with Ken Knight, including two twin daughters, and Catherine was the youngest of the twins. Okay. Twins already creep me out. Oh, wait, you're hey. a twin? <laughs> <laughs> the disrespect. I'm also the younger twin. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So Catherine's father was an, extre- <laughs> an extremely abusive alcoholic and would use intimidation and violence to rape Barbara, um, Catherine's mom, about ten times a day in his drunken state of rape. This is Ken Knight, the second. This is, um, yeah. Okay. This is her father. Okay. So Barbara found comfort in her daughters, never hiding the abuse, and telling Catherine and her sister how much she despised sex and men. Mm. So already off to the start, she had a, a massive distrust of people. Yeah. Um, especially men. So when Catherine turned to her mother for advice, when boys her age tried to, you know, she was getting to, like, a teenage kind of age, mm-hmm. and boys were trying to force her to have sex with her, or, like, coerce her, I should say. Mm-hmm. And she was uncomfortable with it. However, her mom told her to put up with it and stop complaining. Mm-hmm. So she never really had that good influence to look up to in yeah. terms of sex and men. Yeah. So this type of upbringing led to Catherine developing the idea that she was not really allowed to ever say no, and until she was 11 years old, she was continuously sexually assaulted by several members of her family. Mm. Now, even other members in her family confirmed that this happened, too. So it's not like she's just making it up now that she's in jail. Like, people knew it was happening and just ignored it. Which happens so much. Yeah. The only person Catherine was close with, who she could trust not to harm her growing up, was her uncle, Oscar Knight, but unfortunately he committed suicide in 1969. Mm Mm-hmm. So even today at 64 years old, Catherine talks um, 
from prison and interviews about how devastated she was about his death and how his ghost still comes to visit her often. Mm. So that was the only person she was really ever close with. And then he commits suicide. Yeah. So, I mean, I, what she did is insane, but I also kind of, you know how I am. Yeah, I can't, yeah. like, empathize <laughs> with anyone. Yeah. So I can also kind of get into her head in that one. Well, yeah, you could see why she became the way she became. Yeah. Because of her tumultuous upbringing, Catherine had some trouble in, high, in school. Interestingly, according to other students and teachers, Catherine seemed to have two very different personalities that would come out, you know? It would mm-hmm. be, like, polar opposites. Mm. So when she was calm, Catherine was a great student and, and even earned awards for her good behavior. However, when she was angry or when she had a bad day at home... Catherine would bully smaller children and even assaulted a male student with a weapon one day. Mm. And then another day she was injured by her teacher because her teacher said she was acting in self-defense against Catherine, who was, like, trying to hurt her. Dang. Yeah, so she was very opposite, her own personalities. So Catherine left school at age 15, and she never learned how to read or write. So to this day, she doesn't know how to read or write. She got to 15 in the school system and hadn't learned how to read or write yet? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. She won awards for... I don't know. I don't know how her schools were. Like maybe she went to really bad schools. But maybe. Even reading or writing, though, it's like the basics. Yeah. Huh. So, however, after she left school at 15, Catherine quickly landed her dream job, as she calls it. Okay. Which was cutting up dead animals at a slaughterhouse. Uh, <laughs> I could have seen where that was going. <laughs> she was ecstatic when she was eventually promoted... She was promoted at the slaughterhouse and given her own set of butcher knives. And she was so excited about it that she hung it above her headboard while she slept. So that's where she kept it every night. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wait till you... We went, oh, wait till we get into it. It's okay. insane, Shannon. So we're going to talk about her first, bar- her first marriage. So Catherine met David Kellett in 1973, and he was a heavy drinker who lost his job as a result of his alcohol abuse. Mm. Still, he and Catherine married shortly after meeting, and their wedding was in 1974. So about a year later. Interestingly, David tells of the advice um, Barbara, Catherine's mom, gave David on their wedding day. So Barbara told David to watch out because if he does or says anything wrong, Catherine will kill him. And Barbara also told David that Catherine most definitely had a screw loose somewhere. So to watch his back. Mm. So I mean, if your own mother is saying that... To be fair, her mother sounds like that she had a... What? Her mother had issues. Oh, yeah, her mom did. Raising her, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, everybody around her kind of knew. That something was off. I mean, when he went to bed at night and there was (laughs) knives hanging above his bed, he probably should have got a hint. (laughs) So on their wedding night, Catherine tried to strangle David in Mm. his sleep because she was angry that he fell asleep after only having sex three times a night. Mm. (laughs) So she tried to strangle him. Makes sense. (laughs) That's funny. So (laughs) while Catherine was pregnant with her and David's baby, she hit him in the head with- Wait, 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 wait. He like- Oh no, he stayed. No, he stayed. And then she got pregnant. No, she goes through a lot of um, different boyfriends and husbands Mm -hmm. and they stay with her because she is very charismatic and she is able to- And manipulative. Mm -hmm. Manipulative. And she's able to pull you back in. Yeah. A lot of times. Mm. Even if she tries to kill you. Mm. (laughs) Apparently. So right after, you know, they get married, whatever- she gets pregnant, and while she was pregnant with David's baby, she hit him in the head with a frying pan in a fit of rage because he came home late. David fled the house in fear and collapsed in their neighbor's house and was eventually determined to have a severely fractured skull. Mm. But he still stayed for, <laughs> for a little while longer. Okay. Because after their baby was born, Kellett left Catherine for another woman, and this was in 1976, um, because obviously he wanted to, he realized 
this is abusive. Yeah. This, I need to get out of this. And he was afraid that she would kill him, though, if he asked for a divorce. Mm. So he just up and left 1976 to be with another woman. Mm-hmm. Now, this caused Catherine to spiral. And she started taking the anger out on their baby, Melissa Ann. Mm. And she eventually was checked into St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth and diagnosed with prenatal depression. Once doctors felt like she had recovered enough to be on her own, she was released from the hospital. However, this apparent recovery was very short-lived, as she was seen placing Melissa, the baby, on train tracks just a few minutes before a train was going to arrive. Um, which, oh my god. Which would obviously have killed the baby. Yeah. Uh, luckily, the baby was okay. Um, but then Catherine stole an axe and threatened to kill multiple people in public. All because David left her. Okay. She was, like, upset that he left her for another woman. Yeah, I was about to say, it's probably not the part that he left. It's probably the part that he left for another woman because she had all these issues with her mom being like, don't trust men. That's true. That's true. Look at you. (laughs) Psychoanalyzing. Sometimes. (laughs) So after this axe incident, Mm -hmm. she was taken back to St. Elmo's Hospital, but she checked herself out again the next day when she said she recovered, and she checked herself out. Now, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm just going through all the stuff he... She did so much abuse to mm-hmm. this guy. She abused him so bad. But I can't obviously say everything. Yeah. So I'm just going to go through the important ones, or the mm-hmm. ones that I feel like are the most insane. Mm-hmm. So a few days after she checked out of St. Elmo's Hospital a second time, Catherine forced a woman to... Dr- like, she went in her car and forced her there, mm-hmm. um, to drive her to where David had fled to with his new girlfriend... And she, she slashed the woman in the face to, inti- to intimidate her more. Now, the woman eventually uh, was able to escape from the vehicle when, when they stopped. However, by the time the police arrived, since the woman escaped, obviously Catherine got pissed off. So she, t- she took a young boy hostage and was holding him at knife point. Mm-hmm. How, so the police were there and how she wasn't, you know... I feel like she always got out of either hospital or yeah. jails and was just, like, fine the next day. So you know did they I mean? arrest her? Like, what did they do? I'm assuming that? they arrested her, but there was nothing... Oh, no, yeah, no, they arrested her, but they didn't bring her to the jail. They brought her to a psychiatric hospital. Mm. So they keep bringing her to the hospital, but not getting her the help that she actually needs. Just saying, like, oh, she's fine. And then Pretty much. Her, uh, like, she'll stay a few weeks, and they're like, oh, I think she's recovered enough to yeah. live on her own. So she was finally, at, after all this incidents, she was finally admitted to the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital, where people had hoped that she could really get the help she clearly needed. Mm-hmm. During her time at the hospital, Catherine admitted that she planned to kill the mechanic who fixed David's car because it enabled her husband to leave her. So she was going to kill him first. And then so she was going to drive to... Oh, so she wasn't even going to kill the husband. Oh, no, she was. She was going she... to kill the mechanic first. <laughs> she was going to kill the mechanic first, and then she was going to go to her husband and... Wild. The new girlfriend. Um, and then, like I said, she was going to go kill David, and she was also going to kill his mother, she admitted. <laughs> However, she didn't expect the woman to escape, so luckily that kind of drew threw a wrench in her plans Mm -hmm. and was able the police were able to come and bring her to the hospital so unfortunately um catherine's visit to the psychiatric hospital was short-lived and she was released on august 9th 1976 Mm. so i'm gonna briefly very briefly discuss her other relationships because before i talk about her final marriage which landed her in jail Mm -hmm. but she dated many people so i'm just gonna go quickly through them and say all the things that she did to them (laughs) okay so in 1986 Catherine met David Saunders, and to, this this part is so messed up. To prove what would happen if he ever cheated on her, she took David's two-month-old puppy and slit his throat in front of him. Yeah, <laughs> killed the puppy in front of him. That part, like, got to me. Why? I don't know. It's a little puppy. Why? But she also had the thing for, like, butchering animals. animals. That's her dream job. So, yeah, she took a little baby puppy, slit his throat, and then hit... David, which also the other guy's name was David too. She hit him in the head with a frying pan. 
Like and, she did the other day. But. Yeah, like she, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she probably honestly just was still trying to get revenge at the first date. Yeah. And just took it out on this one. Probably. Catherine then went on to have another daughter with him. Okay. Like, she had her first daughter. She had a daughter named Sarah this time. Mm-hmm. So Catherine eventually... <laughs> this isn't funny, but I laugh when things are serious. Yeah. So Catherine eventually stabbed David in the stomach with scissors, but somehow manipulated authorities into believing that she was the victim. And so they issued a restraining order against him for her. I don't. I told How? you, because she's, she's so charismatic and manipulative. I guess she probably just claimed self-defense yeah isn't that crazy dang especially they know her like last i mean i don't know if she lived in the same place well that's true she has like a history yeah so i mean i don't want to say that you would base a present crime over your history but i don't know that would raise a red flag to me definitely so in 1990 Catherine got pregnant again by a a man named john chillingworth and had a baby boy named eric Catherine stayed with him for three years. Um, now, this relationship wasn't as abusive, and the reason why was because she was cheating on him the whole time. <laughs> so, okay. she wasn't... I guess the only way to make her not try to kill you is to just let her cheat on you. <laughs> so, Catherine stayed with him for three years, but eventually left him for John Price, um, who was she was cheating with. Mm-hmm. John Price did not know what he was in for, and this relationship was the one that would land Catherine in jail forever. Mm. Or in prison. So let's get into him. He's this, this, I feel so bad for this guy uh, and his whole family. So Catherine moved in with John Price in 1995. When he refused to marry her in 1998, Catherine videotaped a first aid kit that John stole from work and sent the video to his boss as revenge. And John was eventually fired from the job that he had for 17 years. Dang. So she was very like malicious in what she did. Yeah. Because he wouldn't marry her or he wasn't ready to yet. Yeah, because that's not something that would physically hurt him. That's just like lose all your money life yeah exactly like it's it would ruin his future yeah so he kicked Catherine out right away obviously he was upset however a few months a few months later they eventually started their relationship again however john would not let Catherine live with him again Mm. um understandably he wanted to take things slow after what she did to him before that's fair however this would be a fatal decision because it did not make her happy that he didn't want her to live with him Mm. (laughs) so what would any rational person do in this situation not maybe, what she did. <laughs> maybe break up with them or set different boundaries. Yeah. But if you're Catherine Knight, you would just murder them. Mm. So a series of very brutal fights between John and Catherine resulted in Catherine stabbing him in the chest of February 2000. But he survived this attack. How mm. come she's always stabbing people and they're always surviving? Right? I know. Because the last one was scissors. Like how? She stabbed or him in the chest. pans. so this was in february of 2000 right okay now at the end of february on february 29th john price took out a restraining order against Catherine and told his co-workers that if he did not come to work the following day Catherine murdered him Mm. he literally said this to his co-workers yeah so his co-workers tried to get him to stay with him but john's kids from his previous marriage were at home and he feared that Catherine would kill them if he didn't go back home with her with them Interestingly, yet suspiciously, he found that Catherine had sent the kids to a sleepover for the night. That's so scary. Mm. I'd be like, I'm, I'm out. That, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. So the two of them could have some alone time, she called it. Yeah, that's a no. <laughs> so when John did not show up for work the next morning, on March 1st, his coworkers knew what had happened. Um, they called police right away at 6 a.m. or early, or probably around, like, between 6 and 8 a.m. Yeah. Now, police arrived at his home at 8 a.m., and found a very disturbing scene. So I'm going to get into the murder. 
All right, so the night before, on February 29th, after he leaves work, John goes to a neighbor's house to hang out, watch TV, do whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he went back, because this was normal, he usually would go to the neighbor's house. Mm -hmm. And then he went back home and fell asleep around 11 p.m. Catherine woke him up, she said they had sex, and then John fell back to sleep. So she woke him up just to have sex, I guess. Okay. So he he starts to go back to sleep, and Catherine waits for him to fall asleep before grabbing... (laughs) Before grabbing the butcher's knife that she kept above the bed and stabbing him. So he woke up, police confirm, he woke up after the first stab, I'm assuming. It probably, like, shocked him awake. Yeah. And he managed to get out of bed, run, open the front door, and go get to the porch. Mm -hmm. When he was, like, grabbed and dragged back in. And then she closed the door. And he, and then she finally stabbed him for a total of 37 times. Jesus. 37. You have to be angry. Yeah. That's just pure rage. I mean, one, I don't understand why she was even allowed in that house at that point. She had already stabbed you. Why is she in the house with you? Oh, I know. Why does she have any authority to send your kids to go to a sleepover or anything like that? Why are you having sex with her? She just stabbed you. (laughs) (laughs) Also, 37 times is clearly... That's overkill at that point. So yeah. all she's trying to do is take out her anger on yeah. you. It's not just to kill you. It's to, like, make a point. Exactly. I would stay at the neighbor's house. I'd be like, I'm afraid to go 100%, home. 100%. I wife. would have never went home if I knew she was there. Me neither. <laughs> now, this is where it gets really messed up. So a few a few hours after John died, Catherine skinned him. Because, you know, she's a butcher. Mm-hmm. It's her specialty. She hung him upside down to remove to drain all the blood. So when the police entered the house, they saw what they thought was a curtain hanging from the ceiling. They thought it was like a curtain and then they were going to open it and something was going to be there. Can you imagine if you had touched it to move it like a curtain? However, they quickly learned that it was his skin hanging and it looked like a curtain. So she really just like skinned him alive. How insane is that? Ugh, that's disgusting. Yeah. Catherine then cut out John's back muscle and cut it into five pieces of meat to make it look like steak. She cooked it. And then she served it with baked potato, pumpkin, zucchini, gravy, and some other, you know, side dishes she just whipped up. And put it where? (laughs) Oh, I'll get into it. So Catherine then set the dinner table, and she had a placemat for each of John's kids because she hated him so much, and she wanted to feed their father to them. Oh, my (laughs) This is a movie. This is a horror movie, I swear. Imagine walking in on that. The police on that scene said they that's the one case they could just never forget. Can you imagine if, one. like, the kids came home before the police showed up? I know. They would have ate, they would have ate him. Jesus. Yeah. And if that wasn't bad enough, police found the body was just the, to- it was just the torso. So they realized that Catherine decapitated John, and they found his head cooking in a pot filled with vegetables. <laughs> what? Imagine seeing that. Oh, no. That's terrible. Yeah. That would, like, make me quit my job. Me too. Instantly. Now, what's so crazy is that they saw that Catherine had removed $1,000 from John's bank account and an ATM at midnight, the night of the murder, meaning that she showered. She What, what most likely happened was 11 o'clock, she woke him up. Mm-hmm. Then he went back to sleep. She stabs him 37 times. And then I'm assuming she hung the body or whatever to, you know, get the blood out. Mm-hmm. And she took a shower before and then went to the bank. Like, nothing happened. <laughs> And then came home and cooked him. That's crazy. Now, a psych evaluation was issued during her trial, and multiple psychiatrists determined that Catherine had borderline personality disorder. 
Although she did not, and even today, does not think she did anything wrong and will not accept any guilt or responsibility for the murder, Catherine's lawyers took the, convinced her to take the guilty plea, and she was sentenced to life in prison. So initially she said she was not guilty. So she claims that she didn't do this at all? She... Or she just thinks that it was justified? She kind of hasn't... She's kind of quiet about it. I can't really explain it. You have to mm-hmm. watch interviews with her. She initially was saying she wasn't guilty, like, wasn't guilty, and then all of a sudden she switched to guilty, but she didn't give a reason for doing so. Mm. Um, but no, she doesn't feel, like, any remorse. That's crazy. Like, I've seen interviews and she just sits there and talks normal. Like, how we're talking. Yeah. She talks like a normal person. It's not like she sounds scared or she sounds Yeah, mean. she probably explains the story like she's removed from the situation. Yeah. So although she was deemed competent and fit to stand trial, her lack of remorse so- shows that she had completely dissociated herself from the crime. Many people claim this was just an act to get a lesser sentence, maybe, to make herself seem crazy. Possible. But she's still like that, so now she knows yeah. she has life in prison. She also tried to appeal it and say that the punishment wasn't as bad, like, was too severe for what she did. Yeah, no. <laughs> right? I would agree that this is the right punishment for yeah. that. Not even just because of, I mean, obviously what she did is absolutely terrible, but she has such a history of violence mm-hmm. that it's like, you can't, even if this one crime is the only thing she had done, if you add in all the stuff she'd done beforehand, you can't let her get away with that. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think she was in the right state of mind? Or? I don't, I would what? say that it's believable if you claim that she was maybe acting it up for the trial, but if all these years later she's still acting the same way, then I would say it's not an act necessarily. So is it a super publicized case in Australia? Yeah, in Australia it was. People, um, it got a lot of media attention, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the authorities on the case said that it was the goriest they've ever seen. Did any of them, like, quit? I'm very curious, <laughs> I <don't> genuinely. Know. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know, but probably. I, would, I wouldn't be able to work there anymore. I would never. To me, this is even worse than most of the shows or anything I would have seen. Mm-hmm. Because it's so weird to me. Like, that's so real and, uh yeah. I don't like this one. It's just insane to me how she's so... Like, it, it showed that... I think she was in the right state of mind, but it showed her lack of remorse so you do think emotion. that she's in the right state yeah of mind. i think she's in the right state of mind she's so smart i'm sorry i, I know she, i mean not smart like school wise obviously no. but smart i mean i would agree if she just stabbed him and then he would like she's and he was back the next day you know what i mean or like it just seems like personality wise she's able to manipulate you to do yeah what you she wants you to do she is very manipulative and you know, charismatic. I think she was in the right state of mind, though, but I think it's crazy to me, like, her lack of remorse. She just went to the bank. You know what I mean? That part yeah. gets me. Like, like it was just a normal night. Yeah. You know what I mean? With her husband at home. So, I, th- I don't think she was out of... I don't think she's crazy or anything. Yeah, I do think... I Obviously, I think she had issues, but I do think that she, it's fair that for them to have said that she was in a good enough state of mind to stand trial. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Now, the people in prison with her and guards and everything said that in jail, she runs the show. Really? Yeah, no, she's, like, in charge. Nope, everybody fears her. She just, I feel like it's not even, not that it's not a punishment for her, but in the way that she thinks, like, she just controls everyone. Yeah. So it's not really a punishment for her. I mean, in her mind, she's probably doing the same thing that she was doing in the real world in prison, so it's probably not that big of a deal to her. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd be terrified of her, too. (laughs) If I was in prison with her, I would do whatever she told me to do. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but she runs the show. I believe it, clearly, since she's able to manipulate people so well. Also, 
I will probably put up a picture of her on our Instagram, but I just looked at a picture of her, mm-hmm. and that is not in a million years what I would have thought she looked like. I know. She looks so sweet. She looks like a mom. She looks like your average housewife. Yeah. Like, she looks nothing like I would have thought she would have yeah, looked like. I know. Also, do we think that she would have eaten him herself? So what she did was she made uh, a few plates, one for herself as well. Um, however, they did find, like, a one plate kind of pushed to the side, and maybe they thought she would, felt too remorseful to eat him. Mm. But I don't know, because she doesn't really seem to feel remorse. Yeah, I feel like in the interview sense, you would have heard it in her voice, or just her expressions, or she might have cried about it, or something like that, maybe. that would have shown that she wouldn't have. Because, I mean, I can imagine her feeding it to the kids, but the kids wouldn't have known what was going on. Yeah, she they just would have. Eat it. I don't know. She was making a plate for herself, though. But luckily... So in theory, she was going to. In theory, she was going to. Would she have gone through with it? I don't know. Probably. Probably. But luckily, the police came before the kids. Yeah. Because that would have been so sick. Tra- Imagine... That would have been so traumatizing. Yeah. I wouldn't but, be able to live with myself. I mean, those kids are already traumatized. You can't even imagine if they had seen it themselves. Mm-hmm. And I was laughing. I was watching someone, and they were like, what does she think? Like, there was blood everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, did she, she gonna... really think everything was going to be fine? Yeah, did she just think that they were going to come home and eat and, like, not realize that there was blood everywhere yeah. and, like, his head was in a stew? Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> and I did forget to um, add this part before, but when the police arrived and they found him, they went upstairs, and she had taken sleeping pills and was sleeping. <laughs> so people were like, oh, maybe she took him to try to kill herself or whatever, but no. Uh, like, she didn't take... I don't know. Maybe she thought she would have died, but I don't think so. But she just was sleeping there when the police came and just, like, casually woke up. So if it didn't mean that she was trying to kill herself, that means that she either she did not care at all that she wanted what she just did to be discovered and she wanted to be caught. She didn't try to run at all. Or, I mean, if she was trying to kill herself, I feel like she would have known how many she needs to take or that she needed to take more than she did if if that was actually the case. So she probably just, or she just didn't think that she was going to get in real trouble for it because all of her actions in the past haven't had real consequences up to that point. Exactly. Like the, like what she did to her other boyfriend, she stabbed two of them. She like fractured one skull. So they could have all died. They just didn't. Yeah. So maybe she was like, oh, I got away with so much. And she probably thought she was just going to get away with it. Yeah. At that point, she was probably like, they're just going to send me to the hospital again. I'll stay there for another month and then I'll be back out doing whatever. Exactly. Hey queens, welcome back from the break. For my half of the episode this week, I'm going to be talking about the 27 Club. So, the 27 Club, some people call it Club 27, some people call it the Forever 27 Club. Basically what it is, is a, it's a general list of all types of artists, commonly associated with musicians, but it includes, like, art, art, (laughs) artists, (laughs) musicians, and actors that died at the age of 27. Okay. So I only know of one. It's Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Everybody else is kind of... So I'll, we'll get into that later on, but Amy Winehouse was aware of this club when she died, mm-hmm. and she did kind of feel, I guess, some kind of connection with those people that when she died. Um, so obviously there's no specific rules to be in the club. However, like I said, most people associate the club with musicians, specifically either rock musicians, alternative musicians, just musicians that aren't seen as regular pop musicians. Uh, And most of them lived a high-risk lifestyle, whether it be drugs, alcohol, just general carelessness kind of lifestyle. So although there was not an official name for it and it wasn't a cultural phenomenon at the time of these deaths... 
the club, most people see the main core members of the club having being the four people that died between the years 1969 and 1971. However, some credit blues musician Robert Johnson as being the first real member of the club. I was just talking about him yesterday, my friend. Really? Yeah, it's kind of weird to that. <laughs> so, you'll, do you know about his, like, he signed the deal with the devil kind of situation? No. Okay, so, <laughs> so like I said, most people don't really acknowledge him because his death happened so much earlier compared to everybody else's. But he died in 1938, and he also died at 27, obviously. So, according to legend, when he was young and he lived in Mississippi when he was growing up, he really wanted to become a blues musician. He wanted to be famous, specifically. He wanted to be a master at guitar. Okay. So, the legend is often told that he was instructed to use his guitar, take it to a uh, dockery plantation at midnight. Obviously, this is all... Word of mouth. Yeah, this is mostly just legend and myth, just yeah. because he's seen as such a core figure within blues music. Uh, so, basically, he was when he went to this crossroads, um, he was approached by the devil, who tuned his guitar for him. The devil then used his guitar and returned the guitar to Johnson, which granted Johnson mastery of the guitar. That's very metaphorical because when you think about it, every famous person has in some way sold their soul to the devil. There are countless amount of myth stories or things about like famous people. Because they all do when you think about it. In I, some way. Yes. Because so many of famous people just sacrifice their normalcy and just how everyone else views and thinks life. Like, I love, don't get me wrong. I am not saying to sympathize with celebrities. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously they're humans, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I'm not saying that their life is easy in any way. I mean, their life is hard in any way. Yeah. But so many of them are sketchy and do sketchy things to get to the status that they're at. Yeah, they all, I- I'm going to say every single celebrity in some way has hurt somebody or done something very corrupt to get where they are. I mean, yeah, most people would agree because uh, to get to the top, a lot of people say that you gotta knock some people over to get there. You do. So it's just, it just happens. Yeah. So the legend is that he did make this deal with the devil, quote unquote, and in exchange for his selling his soul to the devil, he was able to become uh, famous and a master at blues. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, he died on August 16th, 1938, and this was at the age of 27. His death is due to unknown causes. Obviously, this early in 1938, a lot of racial issues were going on. And at the time, if a black man was found dead, it was kind of tossed aside mm-hmm. and not regarded. So they did not have a proper, I mean, I don't know if there was autopsies in 1938, but you know what I mean? Examination exactly. of what caused his death and things like that. Uh, There are a lot of theories around uh, what possibly killed him. Uh, Syphilis is the most logical and the universally accepted cause. However, there are some stories about how jealous uh, husbands of women that he was flirting with killed him (laughs) or possible poison. (laughs) So there are a lot of fun, not fun, but like, you know, (laughs) know creative ways (laughs) that he might have died rather than syphilis. But the universal thought seems to be syphilis. Um, And yeah, it took a very, very long time for a death certificate to ever be listed for him and 
it did not have a cause of death on it. It only listed the date and location of his death. Hmm, sketch. So, as I said before, the main people that I guess are used as examples for the 27 Club are the four people that died between 1969 and 1971. So, the first of these musicians to pass is Brian Jones, who died July 3rd, 1969. Is your uncle? No. <laughs> um, so, Brian Jones was the founding member of the Rolling Stones. Okay. Uh, however, at the time of his death, he had already disaffiliated from the group. That group had a lot, as do most rock bands at some point, mm-hmm. had a lot of internal turmoil that was going on within the group, and he was no longer technically a member of the group at the time of his death. Uh, so, he died July 3rd, 1969. He is the cause of his death is considered drowning his girlfriend like accidental on purpose accidental okay so his girlfriend at the time was the one that found him when he she found him he she claims at least that he had a pulse and that he was still alive but by the time that people arrived on scene and he arrived at the hospital he had passed away so he died at 27 obviously <laughs> uh so like i said the official cause of death is drowning uh, the coroner actually labeled it later on as a quote-unquote death by misadventure. <laughs> and the report made note of the fact that his heart was heavily enlarged and also his liver was, and it was due to past drug and alcohol mm-hmm. abuse. Wait, so how, where did he drown? I know it's not important. Probably. At his farm. Okay. Yeah, it was the pool at his house where he died. Okay. So, um, yeah, so that's basically it on his specific incidences um as much as it necessarily wasn't due to his like drug use or alcohol use it definitely did not help him while he was drowning that he had all these other heart issues or liver issues some people did question the possibility that his death might not have been as innocent as it seemed uh however the reports opened decade later the case reopened again however it has been closed and they have stated that they're never going to reopen it again um other members of the rolling stones it's also worth noting have like i said they were not on good terms with him at the time they have said that they feel remorse for it however they have noted that not that he did it to himself but that the way he acted and the way he behaved it definitely didn't help his cause the second of this group to pass away is Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix died on September 18th, 1970. His official cause of death is inhalation of vomit. From I mean, drinking? Yeah. Um, according to his autopsy, he had 20 milligrams of amphetamine and 20 milligrams of cannabis. Um, he also had a bunch of prescription drugs in his system at the time. At the time of his death, he had about four pints of beer, what the equivalent of four pints of beer and alcohol would be in his system. So he obviously had a lot of substances in him when he died. Um, also, it was noted that one of his lungs had been partly, partly collapsed when he died too, and that there was fluid found in his chest cavity. That's scary. So, I know. I'm sorry. I hate just, like, listing out, here's all these ways these people die. Yeah. (laughs) But it's worth noting because they all die either in similar ways because of the way that they lived and things like that. Yeah. Like, a lot of drugs and stuff. Yes, which is the theme (laughs) for just this entire club. Yeah. So, the third of these 
notable musicians is Janis Joplin. She died October 4th, 1970. Um, I feel like everyone knows who Janis Joplin is. I love her. (laughs) So she died uh, officially of a heroin overdose. uh, And she also, it was assumed that she had alcohol in her too. It's also worth noting that people that used drugs from her dealer, several of them died that week. So the guess is that the heroin that she used from her dealer was contaminated and her body just wasn't used to mm-hmm. how that heroin was. And that's why she had a bad reaction to it and died. Okay. Uh, and then the last of the musicians is Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison died July 3rd, 1971. It is worth noting that this is to the day, two years after Brian Jones died. So oh, it's the same day? It's the same day. Mm-hmm. So it kind of seems like Brian Jones like started out the group and then Jim ended it. So if you don't know, Jim Morrison is the leader of The Doors, the band The Doors. <laughs> and he his cause of death is su- suspected congestive heart failure. However, it's worth noting that it is suspected because he died in Paris And according to French law, it is not required for an autopsy to be conducted. Really? Yeah. How? At least at the time it wasn't. Now it might have changed. But at the time, so he was found in his hotel room bathroom and the autopsy was never done. So the exact cause of his death is unknown. But of course it is worth mentioning that he was an alcoholic and... He did have issues with substances up to that point, but it is, I think that's super interesting that... That's crazy. They have never technically done an autopsy on him. That's insane. It's insane that it wasn't legal for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's changed now, yeah. but even the 70s, that feels super that's late not even in that time. Long ago. Yeah, that feels super late in time for me for that to not be a requirement. Yeah. Okay, so next I'm going to get into Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse. Obviously, I love her. I love her so much. Obviously, there's a ton of other people between the original four people and these two members. There are a lot of different kinds of musicians, artists in between. However, I want to specifically pinpoint these two, especially Kurt Cobain, because his death is the one that really made this club a cultural known thing. So... I'm not going to get into Kurt Cobain's death because I'm going to make that its own episode. It needs to be. be. It's so suspicious. Because it is absolutely insane. But I guess I will just say that he died on April 5th, (laughs) 1994. But he was found three days later. But he died April 5th. Okay. Okay. He was found at his home in Seattle. And his death was, quote unquote, rolled a suicide. (laughs) He was a suicide by shotgun because he was found with shotgun on his body. And there was a suicide note discovered nearby. I'm not going to get into it. I know. I really want to, but it has to be its own episode. We're definitely going to because his whole situation, it's very suspicious and I definitely have strong feelings on it and opinions (laughs) on it, but we're not going to get into it. But yeah, so Kurt Cobain died by suicide (laughs) on April 5th. Uh, So... Obviously, like I said, the 27 Club necessarily didn't have a name. However, it was rumored that Kurt might have known that this pattern existed prior to him, prior to his death. His mother, Wendy, had said in newspapers before, and I'll quote this, 
Now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club. That's insane that she said yes. that. And obviously she was referring to yeah. Jimi Hendrix, Joplin, and them. So, uh, however, other people have said that he might not have known this. However, it is worth mentioning that most people around him did assume that Kurt was going to die young. Um, Dave Kroll, who was also a member of Nirvana, said that... He, basically that he wasn't surprised that he had died early and was expecting something like that to happen to him mm -hmm. and that kurt himself i don't want to say fantasized death but definitely had thought about dying young before and obviously it is worth mentioning again like most of the other members of this club that he had substance abuse problems so next i'm going to get into amy winehouse so it's m interesting on amy's end because Amy, when she died in 2011, she died July 23rd, 2011, it would have been a known popular term, the 27 Club. Mm -hmm. So she definitely was aware of it when she died. It doesn't surprise me that she died young. A hundred percent. I knew she had, would. She had a lot of similarities to Kurt Cobain. Yeah, she did. Especially in like childhood and just the yeah. way she grew up too and her relationships with significant others and things like that. So she definitely had a similar lifestyle to everyone in the club but specifically Kurt Cobain so that is worth mentioning too so she officially died by alcohol poisoning it was her blood alcohol content was five times over the legal limit to drive when she died and she it is rumored that she only had just resumed drinking three days prior to her death uh beforehand she had been sober and doing well However, a couple of days beforehand is when she started drinking again. There are a lot of possible reasons behind this, whether it be her relationship or just the, how she was living. Uh, her recent performances up to that point had been problems, so yeah. uh, I'm not going to get into all of that. <laughs> but, no, did you see her performance right before she died? Yeah. Oh, God. So there's just a ton of stuff that probably caused her to just start drinking again and led to this kind of thing happening. However, it is worth mentioning that even if she did fantasize dying young, it is well known that some of her last words were, I don't want to die. Mm -hmm. So even if prior to she had thought about it in that moment, I don't think it was, it wasn't necessarily like suicide that she had died by. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it is worth mentioning just because several of the other members, it had been suicide. Whether it be Kurt or some of the other, I don't want to say lesser known people, but aren't the official like seven people that most associate with the club. So, some people have talked about Amy's death before. One of her people that worked with her while she was in rehab had said that it is possible that she specifically talked about joining that club. So, as maybe she didn't necessarily plan out her death, but it is well known that she was aware of the club and people close to her specifically. I believe it was one of her mentors, something like that, in the rehabilitation center had said that she had expressed talking about joining the club. So now I'm going to get into a little bit of some of the studies that have gone into it about this club because it, it became so popular, especially after Kurt died and then especially after Amy Winehouse died, that people genuinely started to believe that there may be some kind of connection to 27. So there have been studies since then the most popular study and the one that came up the most when i was researching into the club is one done by the british journal of medicine 
so what they did was they researched the survival rates among 1,046 musicians, whether it be people that were in bands or people that were just solo artists, who had a number one album in the UK between 1956 and 2007, and then compared that survival rate with the rate of the general England's population. So the study basically concluded that basically three musicians that they researched did pass away at specifically at the age of 27. Uh, the total number of musicians that they looked at was 522. However, this obviously this is a alarming just because no one should really be dying at the age of 27. However, there was no definitive bump in deaths at that age specifically. Okay. Uh, it is worth noting that it does leave out a couple of members of the 27 Club, this study, because for whatever reason, these members of the 27 Club did not have a number one album in the UK between the years of the study. So that study is one of the ones that rebuttaled the claim. It is worth noting, though, that in the study, there was a collection of deaths uh, in musicians aged 20 to 40 that occurred specifically in the 70s and 80s, which is significant because this is the time period that the 27 Club is considered to have formed or publicly acknowledged, at least. But after the early 1980s, this like spike in numbers didn't be, wasn't seen as significant. They do think that part of this had to do with increased improvement in treatments for people that either were having a drug overdose or just needed treatment and needed help. After that point, there was better availability for that. So, however, the one study that has come out that does somewhat support the 27 Club, even though if it's even though it's not specifically for the number 27, it is worth mentioning that musicians, specifically musicians of a specific lifestyle, do on average have a lower lifespan compared to the average population. It, the men usually die in their late 50s, and women, the average is early 60s. Okay. So obviously that's much later in life than 27. Yeah. However, that's much earlier in life than the average person would. I believe the average is like 75, usually for women, like around that age. So it is well known that people that live the lifestyle that the members of the 27 Club do do have lower average lifespans <laughs> so is so i have a question though why yeah. why is 27 like i feel like there's other musicians who'd also die at other ages and groups there are there's you know actually I mean? while i was looking into it i don't have the list of names but there are also a couple of people that have substance abuse problems there is a good chunk of them that have died specifically at 33 yeah so I think 27 is the one that people pinpoint just because all of the of artists in it? in it are so similar yeah, yeah. and so famous. The 33 one had a lot of more varied kinds of people. There were comedians that were 33. There was singers that were 33. So it was more diverse. But I don't want to say all these musicians are the same, but they're very, very similar mm -hmm. in either the people that kind of revolutionized specific genres. They all were... None of them were pop singers. Some of them were mainstream, but either mainstream later in their life or begrudgingly mainstream. It was well known that Kurt Cobain absolutely hated being yeah. a mainstream musician. And some people have even pointed that out as a pinpoint for when he became started to become more depressed and having issues when he became more mainstream music. And Amy Winehouse, I would say... 
I mean, she was always very popular, but she's not singing pop music. She's not like, going to change it for the radio, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like she became pop more popular after she passed away. Definitely. I de- there was, I don't know the specific statistics on it, but when I was looking into it, and same with most musicians, but she specifically had a lot of immediate success on the charts right after she passed away. Because she also did have projects that were coming out around the time of when she died was. Yeah. Which seems to be the case with a ton of musicians, to be honest. Everybody has, was either working on comebacks or, like, had things in the work, like, when they passed away. So, that's all of the the list of the people in the 27 Club. Like I said, it doesn't include everybody, but this is the main core that people think of when you discuss it. A lot of people like to get into conspiracy theories of why they died. Um... I don't think it has any connection to do with the government. Some people (laughs) like to think it has some connection to do with the government. It is worth noting that a lot of these musicians were either anti-war or very, I don't want to say leading revolutions, but like were very anti-establishment in thinking. So it is, I guess, a valid thinking that some people would lead to that conclusion. Yeah. I think it just has to do with the way that they live. I think so, too. They have a high-risk lifestyle. Exactly. But there are a ton of people that think that the government <laughs> has some part to do with it. And that, especially because it's all the same age, because they're like, they are targeting a specific kind of person at a specific age so that they can do something about it early on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which, you know, I don't really trust the government, so, like, I like to think things like that. Yeah, I don't maybe necessarily think it on this one, but I 100% see why people do that, especially because of the list of people that are in this club. Yeah. All right, and that's all we have for you this week, folks. Catch us every week for Freaky Friday with the Queens of Queens. Bye, Queens.